What is up, everybody, and welcome to the All NBA Podcast, part of the All City Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Matas, and I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, dressed exactly identical as me today, Tim Legler. <laughs> Legs, what's going on, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm looking forward to the show, man. We got it. We got we're a month in. There's some great storylines, and we're going to pretty much cover every imaginable category covering the first first month of the season. So I'm I'm stoked. We've got NBA superlatives. It is the first month of the season, really month and change. We're about a quarter of the way through. And so it's a good chance for us to step back and talk about the teams that have looked the best, the teams that have been most disappointing, most exciting, most entertaining, a bunch of different categories. I think we got like 16 of these to get through. Um, so it should be fun. We'll touch on a lot of teams in the league. It'll be a little different than our typical show. Usually we go through a game and we try to go in depth. This one we're going to talk uh, touch on a lot of points. So I'm excited to get into it. Got to tell you, first, we're presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code ALLNBA. Life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void or prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Legs, before we get into this list, though, I kind of want to start today's show because one of the reasons we're doing this today is that there weren't a ton of great games last night. And some of the teams that were playing last night were teams we've covered in detail a lot over the last two weeks or so. But last night, there was one of my favorite things that happens in the league. The Nuggets are down Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon. They're three best players. They go, they've been struggling, especially their bench has been in this rut for the last two, three weeks since Jamal Murray has gone down. And without Jokic there, you think, okay, this is a throwaway game. They're going to Los Angeles to take on a Clippers team who's been on a roll. It's a throwaway game. Well, what happens? Reggie Jackson going up against his old team, the Clippers, he gets the tribute video right out the first time out, right? You know, he had some great moments and memories there. DeAndre Jordan, we all remember him from Lob City. We haven't seen DeAndre Jordan play a meaningful, you know, impact (laughs) basketball game for I don't know how many years. And those two have a total throwback game, just a complete – and I'm not talking about, oh, they had – okay, they made a shot or they had a good run in one quarter. They looked incredible for the whole game, especially the second half. And it was just one of those nights. You've got Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, James Harden on the court. Reggie Jackson and DeAndre Jordan were the two best players on the court in the clutch. And this is why the regular season, people always talk about wanting to shorten the regular seasons too many games. I love that the NBA gives you these random nights where you're not expecting anything and you get one of the best games and just a big-time performance from a somewhat random player. I love the NBA on nights like that. I agree with that, and I also think it it always is a reminder for everybody uh, the immense talent that you have to have to put one of those uniforms on. The fact that DeAndre Jordan could sit there and just collect dust for the most part and not just this year, for a long time now, since we really had an impact out of DeAndre Jordan. But people keep him around because I think he's a good presence. He's a hard worker. Yeah. He's a vet, right? He's a positive voice. He's a very enthusiastic guy toward his teammates. But at one time, he was a dominant NBA player. But it's been a long time. And yet, here we go. Get an opportunity. Go out there and get, get yourself a 2010 game. You know, when you haven't yeah. been playing at all, right? <laughs> Against a team with that kind of talent. That, yeah. like you said, is playing well coming in. And Reggie Jackson, you kind of expected out of him. You know he's capable of doing that because, he, you know, he's always been a scorer. And now you get more of an opportunity to play. And, you, you know, you get a little bit loosey-goosey if you're Reggie Jackson. Like, you're really reveling in the moment yes. to, have, to have a night like that. And I think that's a, it's just a reminder, like, how good you have to be um, to even be in the league, much less be somebody that's had the kind of career that both of those guys have had. 
It was it was an incredible game. And with all the stakes, and I got to say, I'm, I'm curious what you think about this. The Nuggets were down three games to one against the Clippers in the bubble. Uh, Marcus Morris and uh, Paul Millsap kind of get into each other's faces. They have this little scuffle. Since then, Denver is like 22-1 and one against the Clippers. They obviously come back from 3-1 down, and they have just owned them since then. And last night, you know, it's a random game. It's more about Reggie stepping up and DeAndre Jordan. But I do wonder if there is this thing where teams just get in the heads of other teams, and it just lasts and lasts and lasts. And I I mean, do you buy into this, that there are teams that just go on runs over the course of years when there's the same sort of cores in place? Do you buy that there's a mental block that happens to a team where it's like, man, this team just has our number? Yeah, I think that what happens in those situations is is almost like a, a team that has, has has failed to have success against somebody, right? Even if you get a lead in a game, feel pretty comfortable. There's always that sense of if the, te- the other team makes a run, it's kind of like you start to play not to lose or you kind of get that, yeah. oh, I can't believe this is happening again type of mentality. And so I do think there is something to it, even if some of the role players change around it. The fact that the core is still there and there's just an innate confidence when you've had that level of success against another team. Like it just it is a different feeling. Um, I played in the NBA for teams that had, you know, several years where you just had a team's number and you do feel a little differently prior to the game. You just feel super relaxed. You know, no matter what's thrown your way early, like you're going to have your, your opportunity to come back and catch them. And the other team's thinking the exact opposite. You get a lead. It's like, can we hold on to this finally for once and beat this team? So I do think there's a psychological edge a little bit sometimes when a team gets somebody's number. I like this question from Philly Urbanite in the chat here. He says, legs as a player, did you have a sweet revenge game in your career? Was there any trade you go back and it's like, all right, had a nice little night as a revenge? Uh, I, I'll tell you what, I had a, I ha- did have one, and it was against the Toronto Raptors, and it was – so my very first professional experience I ever had in my life, I come out of LaSalle and I go play for the Cleveland Cavaliers in their summer league, which at the time was at Youngstown State University in Ohio. This is before, like, Vegas became the thing where everybody goes. Yeah. There was like a lot of mini leagues like all over the country. And there was one in Ohio and there was a handful of teams there. And I was playing for the Cavaliers, like as an undrafted free agent trying to make the team. Head coach was Lenny Wilkins. And I remember, you know, at the end of that summer league, you know, I didn't play particularly well, but I remember Lenny Wilkins kind of putting his arm around me and they, they, they cut me and they, I wasn't invited back to veterans camp, had a conversation. And I could tell by the tone of his voice. I don't know if Lenny Wilkins believed I was going to be an NBA player. Well, let's fast forward now about seven, eight years, and he is now coaching the Toronto Raptors. And I'm leading the league in three-point shooting. I had already won the three-point shootout at that point, that particular year I was playing in Washington. And I'm going to give Lenny Wilkins a lot of credit. I'm standing there warming up, and I'm stretching like at half court before the game. And he comes, seeks me out, finds me, comes over to me, congratulates me on my success and says he was dead wrong and he's glad to be wrong. And he said the one thing we could never understand or or determine in looking at a player, and he touched me in the chest. He goes, we don't know what's in here. That's the one thing. We can't calculate that as coaches. He goes, and obviously you had what it took, and I'm very happy for your success. I thought it was one of the classiest things. First of all, the fact that he remembered me, that that was an undrafted free agent on a summer league team, that he remembered that I was actually on that team in that gym in Youngstown State blew me away. It's one of the greatest coaches of all time. But then I had the wherewithal to come over and be a class actor. And I had I had some good games. It wasn't necessarily maybe that night, but I had some good games against Toronto after that. And it wasn't like I got myself extra motivated because of Lenny Wilkins. 
I played yeah. that way every day of my career because I was always trying yeah. to prove something. Yeah, I love it, man. The revenge game, a real thing in the NBA. It's always a fun one. And Reggie had good years in, in the Clippers. It wasn't even, I think, an angry revenge right. game. Just it's always it's always fun to go back to your old team and, no and outplay outplay the next generation. Um, all right, let's get into some of these superlatives. So as we mentioned, we are about one-fourth the way through the season, a little bit less than one-fourth. So it's nice to break it up and kind of give out some, some superlatives. We're going to start with the most entertaining team. Who's been the most entertaining team so far in your eyes, Legs? This might be surprising to some people, but this is how much I enjoy watching this team play, and it's the Denver Nuggets. That's my favorite team to watch. It's just my favorite team to watch, and it's for a variety of reasons. Jokic, in and of himself, right, is worth the two-and-a-half-hour investment of your time. Every single night, he amazes me. But it's the style of play, the role acceptance, the energy that they play with, and the enthusiasm their bench has – the entire game, it's like a little party going on over there on the bench the entire time. That's how much they're, they're these guys seem connected. Um, they're second in a league in assists, which means the ball is moving the right way. The right decisions get made. Everybody's empowered. And then again, you've got this this guy in Jokic, which you know I could watch him every single night and come away probably seeing something uh, new that I that when I didn't think it was possible. That's how great a player this guy is and a leader, and everything I believe in an athlete should be uh, is what Nikola Jokic represents and then the way that their team plays stylistically. So I'm putting Denver at the top of the list. There's been probably some other faster-paced teams and teams that shoot more threes and maybe take some high yeah. flyers. Give me the team that plays the quality of basketball I most believe in and the way I like to coach it, and that's the Denver Nuggets. I love it, man. I mean, people that follow, you know, all of my work know I'm obviously covering the Denver Nuggets. I watch them most closely. On some of the shows I do, I speak from a fan's voice. And some shows I do, I speak from an analyst's voice and try to remove it myself. On this show, I try to remove myself completely and just be as objective right. as possible. But if I weren't doing that, I would have Jokic and the Nuggets in a lot of my answers because I truly love watching Jokic play more than any play, player in the NBA right now. And just every single night, I feel like I have more fun. But I stepped outside of myself a little bit on this one to go with the Indiana Pacers. I think they're probably going to fall off when we do this in the next, you know, if we do this at the halfway point of the season. Because um, right. I think that their first couple weeks were the most fun and they've kind of tailed off since then. But I love the way this team plays. First of all, incredibly fast-paced. They've got a lot of guys that just play free. And there's something, Legs, about... The first year where a team makes a leap, kind of makes a bump, is the most fun one because there's not pressure on the Pacers right now to win a championship. I don't even know if there's pressure on the Pacers to win a single playoff round. You go into the season, it's like make the playoffs, show growth, and they have a lightness and a freedom to them. And then you talk about getting the ball popping. That team moves the ball quickly. Um, you know, they make some spectacular plays. And the fact that they put up 150 now multiple times this year, I just they they win the award for me in the first uh, quarter of the season. Nothing wrong with that. I think a lot of people would probably agree with that. You know, this, and yeah. that's why I always say these teams, right, that have early season success to this extent, give them their flowers now because, like you said, you never know. You never know right. how much we right. talk about the second <laughs> yeah. half of the year. But for now, I agree with you, man. It's, it's a it's a, it's a, you sit down, get your popcorn. You're going to really enjoy watching that team. My runner-up was the Sacramento Kings, and as, as was mine. I'll just, I'll just, uh, whatever okay. you're about to say, I echo. We can save some time because I completely agree that was my runner-up. So instead, with my most um, entertaining player, 
I ended up going with De'Aaron Fox, and I'm not sure if he is actually the most entertaining player that I've watched, but I've kind of, he's definitely one of them. I've loved what I've seen from him this year. I mean, he competes, he plays so hard every single night. His shot has been going this year, um, and he just looks like a guy who, you know, when you lose, when you make it to the playoffs and you come up short in a game seven, especially when you were a higher seed, you know, that can break one of two ways. It can really hurt you and, okay, now it's in the back of your head and it's in your psyche all year. Are we a regular season team, this or that? Or it can propel you and say, hey, we were really close and we just have to get over yeah. the hump. The, the Sacramento Kings, since De'Aaron Fox has returned, have looked like the latter because I think he's the guy that changes the dynamic of that. I think they have a lot of guys that maybe would play tight if it weren't for De'Aaron Fox. And he's like, nope, we're a good team. We just had to learn a lesson. De'Aaron Fox has been really entertaining. Um, and every game I've watched of him, I've enjoyed. I think it's a great one. I also think the component that he brings with with his level of quickness and his ability to get anywhere on the floor that he wants to. It's just, you know, and I've said it many times, but, you know, everybody in the league is a great athlete, a lot of fast guys, yep. and then there's De'Aaron Fox, right? And yep. then there's Maxie. Like, those two guys, it's just different. They're burst, and so that's always going to be fun to watch. My most entertaining player, and I'm surprised I'm saying this, God, no, there's no way if you asked me going into the season – to list the five guys even that I was most excited to watch play just from entertainment value. He wouldn't have been on this list, but Tyrese Halliburton has gotten there yeah. for me. And look, it's, it's, it's a combination of a lot of things. We already talked about the style that they're playing, which is really fun. And a lot of that is large part due to him. You know, I've talked about his quirky shot, but man, does that go in at a high rate? And he gets, he gets on these rolls where he strings together threes and he's got great size. So he can get it off whenever he wants to. Um, so he's gonna he's got he's got the ability as a scorer on any given night to to hit you with a thirty point game or more, but then he's got two or three plays a game that with his passing, that he makes these passes with flair, that actually are not just for show that like that's the only way he could have gotten the ball there, and he creatively comes up with this stuff on the fly. So you're talking about a guy that's giving you twenty five and eleven every night. Man, give me some Tyrese Halliburton. He's just fun, and he's he's also got a little bit of, you know, he'll, he'll get to talking a little bit to the crowd if he's on the road, and, and yep. all that stuff brings <laughs> something to the table that I love yeah. watching. So he's been, for me, my most entertaining player to this point. I love, and I'm curious what you think, I love people who play with joy. You know, there's play, players that play with anger and players that play with joy and then some combination of that. And I don't think it means you're more or less competitive one way. Like you said, Tyrese Halliburton right. is a very competitive guy, but sure. he's Magic Johnson-esque in that he plays with joy. Like you could tell he's having fun when he's out there and doing things, including in the clutch. Do you have a preference of just on that dynamic about, you know, do you like angry players or, or happy players? I, I don't like the angry guys as much. as, as you know, and To a certain extent, like it creates a little yeah. bit of – an element to it, right? Like, for instance, my favorite player for probably a five-year stretch in this league was Russell Westbrook. That was yeah, by yeah. far the guy I wanted to watch every night. The anger got to the point where it was so over the top. Like, he's he's yeah. already getting into it with guys on the jump ball circle to start the game. And, like, I'll never forget the series with Utah when he allowed this – whatever he had going on with Ricky Rubio – to take yeah. him completely out of the series. I mean, he picked up four fouls in the first half of a game, picking the guy up full court, trying to prove some point. So, like, it got to the point where it actually I thought was hurting his team, hurting his play, and just became, yeah. like, almost absurd, like the level to which he was angry every night. So I think it's a fine line there. I do like the intensity. I, I like a little bit of the of the anger. 
But I'm okay also with this, the perfectly stoic guy, man. That's the yeah. same way every trip. I don't mind that either. Yeah. Um, what about most surprising team? Who do you have down as your most surprising team so far? I think I know where you're going with this one. It can't be any other answer. I mean, they listen, this team, this team has won 12 games already. They could go 12 and 70 on the year and they'd still be my most <laughs> surprising team. No, I'm, I'm joking a little bit there, obviously. And I'm not giving them nearly enough credit. And my yeah. goal now from this point forward is to make sure I get one full Orlando Magic game in a week that I have to watch yeah. because they're doing something right down there. I don't understand the roster makeup equating yeah. to 12 and 5 in a conference that's got Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly and Miami. And there they are in a second place as we sit here, um, you know, coming out of November. It has to be the magic. It has to be. Um, and, and look, I'm, I'm fascinated with how they're getting it done. They've been very good defensively. They get different big nights from different people. It's been crazy. Like it could be Bancaro. Maybe it's Franz yeah. Wagner. Maybe it's Nicole Anthony, right? Maybe it's a Suggs. It's always somebody different with Bancaro probably being the one like constant. And then everybody else just kind of chips in with these big nights, night to night. You don't know where exactly it's going to come from. I've got to go with the Magic, man. 12 and 5 to start the year. 7 and 2 in the Eastern Conference against their own conference opponents. Amazing. I think this is the right answer. You know, like objectively speaking, they're the most surprising. Here's the thing about them. The, every um, young team has a year that becomes sort of a, are you going to get over the hump or not? Well, there's hype around a young team. And then you say, okay, this is the year you want to start seeing the fruits of some of, of, of the labor. And this is they're over the hump. I mean, they look like they're a team that's like, no, we should be buying into our core, in particular of Franz yeah. Wagner and, and Paolo Bancaro. But here's what I yeah. like about it. This team has a lot of winners, in my opinion, on it. I mean, we know that the the Wagner twins or Wagner brothers, sorry, not twins, brothers, have um, you know, a gold medal under their belt. They've had good college careers. Bancaro plays. I, I worry about, and I still worry about Bancaro becoming the Carmelo Anthony of this era because he has such great footwork and he can be such a dominant scorer, but he makes winning plays as well. He makes great passes yeah. and reads the court and wants to be a good passer. Jalen Suggs, I think, is a winner. They just have a lot of guys that I think are winning players on that team, and and so I'm. they are the most surprising team, but I think I'm less surprised than you about that the Magic have been this good just because I like their, I like the pedigree of their young players. Well, do you have another answer then? I'm just curious. Yeah. Who's your runner-up? Or so I went with, I, well, I did. I actually went with the Oklahoma City Thunder, and here's why. I buy them a little bit more. Their record is almost identical, 11-5 and five instead of 12-5. and five. With Oklahoma City, I thought they were going to be very good. But I look at them now and I go, the way the pieces have fit together is what's surprising. They have Giddy. They have Jalen Williams. They have Shea Gildas-Alexander. I look at that, and, I, and they have Vasa Micic. I look at that and I go, that's too many ball handlers. What are they going to do? It's going to be a little clunky. Overlap can kill a development. But instead, it's been the opposite. They've created this style of having all these point guards on the court that works together. And so for me, that's what's surprising about them is that you haven't seen a drop off from any of those guys. They've all sort of grown together as a team and as individuals. And and then obviously Chet Holmgren coming in and not just being a rookie who's up and down or this or that. He's been a solid piece for them. I think that's why I'm most surprised. Did you catch all that? Did I cut out? A yeah. little bit at the end, but I got it. No, I, I think okay. that's, those are all there's all valid points. I guess I had a little bit higher expectation for Oklahoma City coming in. I had virtually none for the Magic, and I think that's why I, I'm leaning toward them being more surprising to me. 
All right, give me your most surprising player. Well, you kind of just touched on him. Um, for me, it's Chet Holmgren. And I know he's a second-year rookie, and that, it definitely is an advantage because even though you're not playing, you are getting that level of strength and conditioning. You're getting that level of film work. You're around the team every day, around the league every day to see it up close. So there's an advantage there, it, it being your second year, right, as a rookie. But still, there is no way you could have told me that a month in, Chad Holmgren would be averaging 18 and 8, two and a half blocks. He's a 50-40-90 club, I believe, 56-43, yeah. just under 90, 88 from the line. So those shooting splits, he's an impact defensively. He's far tougher and like physically wiry strong than he looks he can get tough rebounds. He can maintain his balance on drives. He finishes at the rim with contact uh, for a guy that's built that way. There's just no way I could have expected. If you'd have told me right now Chet Holmgren was averaging you know, 12 and 6, I would have said, yeah, that's a pretty good rookie year uh, for a guy particularly that you know have to get stronger and add some weight. He's already a, an impact player. and he, look, He's had a 30-point game. Like he, He's just going to continue to get better. Not going to shock me. If Chen Holmgren is like borderline a 20, you know, an eight guy at the end of the yeah. season with these ridiculous shooting splits and he's an impact defensively. I mean, this is a big time rookie year. Um, when you look at historically some of the great rookie seasons, Chet Holmgren is on pace to have one of those when you factor in his efficiency. So for me, that's been a big one. I did not see this impact this early. In his game, you know, I worried when he went up against Jokic, got dominated physically. I thought, okay, he's just gonna, not going to be good against the good centers. But he went up and had a great game against Joel Embiid. And you could tell that he's learning through these experiences. So Chet, I think, is a, he was on my list. He was another guy I was going to say. Reggie Jackson could be on my list. I don't want to do too many Nuggets things. But, you know, he was horrible for the Nuggets last year in the buyout. He gets a big yeah. contract and everybody expected him to be terrible. He's having one of his best seasons in the last, like, 10 years of his career. So he's been great. But my answer was Dylan Brooks. And here's why. Dylan Brooks has taken fewer shots than he has in any of the previous four seasons. Fewer shots. He's playing great defense, and he's been a good fit on a roster. When Why didn't Memphis bring him back? Because they worried he couldn't fit in. They were worried he was too much of a distraction, too much of this. Well, Memphis clearly misses what he provided to that team. And you look at Houston, and you think this is a guy who – to much to my surprise, I think is turning into the best version of himself. Way more efficient, way lower usage, plays a lot of uh, tough defense and seems to be content with it. And the Rockets have been something of a surprise team. So Dylan Brooks, to me, from where he ended last year as the scapegoat for a disappointing and chaotic Memphis team to all of a sudden now being a good story for the Houston Rockets, he's my most surprising player. Love that. I think that's a great one. Uh you know, he, he's a guy that you wondered, would he, you know, would he be out of the league the way everything yeah. sort of ended in Memphis for him? Or what would, where would he be? Would you even hear about Dylan Brooks again? He's had, a, he's had a dramatic impact on them. So I think that's a good pick. Um, let's go over to the team with the most pressure. What team do you think has the most pressure now after the first month and a half of the season? All right, two of them jumped out to me, and this is like a coin flip. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick one over the other, uh, but I can make a okay. strong case for one of these two teams. I'm going to go with Boston, right? My runner-up was Phoenix. My runner-up is Phoenix. I'm going to go with the Boston Celtics, okay? So, and, he, and here's why. This team has had five you – know, they're, they're perennially, it seems like, a Final Four team yeah. in the NBA, right? They're always on the threshold. 
They had either losing in the conference finals or making it to the finals, losing to a Steph Curry Golden State Warriors run. So now what do you do? You have these two star forwards. You go out. You add Drew Holiday and you add Kristaps Porzingis. Okay, so now and you and you still kept some of your other key role contributors. This is the year. This has got to be the year for the Boston Celtics, right? I mean, we we think Milwaukee and Boston, when it's all said and done, are probably the two best teams in the East. Philly might have something to say with that. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. But I think most people in watching the Boston Celtics and then looking at what they added, they expect that team to be in the finals. And if they get there, maybe you play a team like Denver. Maybe it's Phoenix. Who knows? Comes out of the West. Boston, very good chance, will be favored. They've added all the talent they need. They've gone out now. Your fourth best scorer on a given night is either Drew Holiday or Chris Tapps Porzingis, okay? And both, right. by the way, both of those guys really impact the other end of the floor as well. This is the year. This is the year. Now, some people might say, hey, no, not really, because Missoula's not ready. You know, he, he kind of got thrust <laughs> into it last year right before camp. It was like, you know, good luck with this. And he's, he's such a young coach, and maybe you'll give them an out for that. No, I don't want to buy it, man. This is a team that's been on the precipice year after year after year with Jason Tatum. You've now got more than enough talent to go get it done. So I think it's the Boston Celtics. They need to have a breakthrough year and actually have a parade. Yeah, I I approach this – it's a great answer. I approach this a little bit differently because I would agree with you that going into the playoffs, it's going to be Boston. The way I think thought about this question was, you know, after after these six weeks, who has put themselves in position to have more pressure? And Boston, look, they're the number one team in the league right now. I don't think they can answer any questions. I mean, they want to be a top one or two seed. They probably want to be a top one seed, but, you know, and they're off to a good start there. To me, the team that I picked was the Clippers because the Clippers right now are seven and nine. They made this, I don't want to call it a panic move because it wasn't out of panic, but they bring in Harden, which just to me elevates the stakes of, you know, what their team is. And while I don't have great expectations for the Clippers personally, they are financially and and as far as future assets all in on trying to get it done right now. And where are they? Outside of the play-in. They're not even in the play-in standings right now. So for me, I look at the Clippers and I say that is a team that is going to have immense pressure on them in December, January, February. And then when the playoffs start, the pressure goes up for them. So for me, I think it's the it's the Clippers. Real quick comment on that. So I here's why I, I wouldn't I wouldn't even consider the Clippers. I don't think I would have put them in my top five. I just think it's a foregone conclusion that it doesn't end well <laughs> for the Clippers. All right. So so because you think it's almost like people are going to expect yeah. a significant chunk of time missed at some point for Kawhi Leonard or Paul George or both. Yeah. Westbrook, Westbrook, as much as I love his effort intensity, I don't know that he's at a point in his career where his decision-making and efficiency are really something you're going to count on in the playoffs. And then, of course, you got James Harden, who, yeah. who you know, 75% of the time in the postseason in recent memory, he's nowhere to be found when you have to have him. So I just think that – they're so far removed from the public consciousness when you start talking about teams that you expect to be there. Uh, they don't cross people's mind, and that's why I just think whatever, they, however they flame out, when they flame out, it's almost like, oh, there go to Clippers again. Um, yeah. These other teams that have come close, that's why I put Phoenix in their second. You know, the, This is a team that's never won right. a championship. Yeah. You go out and you have Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, and Devin Booker playing together. Uh, if you're not expecting to win at all and to consider anything short of that to be a complete failure, you're not being honest. So I think, to yeah. me, 
it's the teams with the absolute expectations like this has to be the year. And I and I actually picked the Celtics over the Suns for this reason. Suns is just still brand new. Like if it if it weren't to happen this year, hey, maybe it happens next year. You wouldn't consider that a failure necessarily. For the Celtics, year after year after getting close, and then you go and finally like you, there's no more talent you could ask for, especially in that starting five. This is it, yeah. man. Go get yeah. it done when it matters most. The for player that has the most pressure, I went with Anthony Davis. And the reason I went with him is this. And the you know, last year in the playoffs, Jokic dominated him in, in the matchup. They moved ended up moving him off of Jokic. And that was one where you look at and say, okay, for LeBron and the Lakers to win another title, Anthony Davis needs to be the best player in some series. And when you go up against the other best bigs, he needs to match or surpass him. He gets dominated on opening night. You know, they make a big deal of, okay, now it's a new year. Let's reset. Gets absolutely dominated by Jokic on opening night. Last night, 44-point loss for the Lakers to the 76ers, in large part because Anthony Davis had no answer for Joel Embiid. That was not a, okay, both guys got their punches in. That was a knockout. Joel Embiid won that head-to-head matchup and made it look very, very easy. And I think if you look at that and you're trying you're a Lakers fan and you're trying to talk yourself into we still have a title window, we've got LeBron, anything's possible, you have to believe that Anthony Davis can go up against the best bigs in the NBA and at least go to a draw. So far, through 17, 18 games, whatever it's been for the Lakers, that answer is pretty loudly no. He cannot do that. And and that's not going to be an advantage against specific matchups. So for me, going forward, Anthony Davis has gone to an argument for the best big in the NBA to clearly incapable of handling Jokic and Embiid, and that puts enormous pressure on him for the rest of the year. I like that answer. I also think with with Anthony Davis, you know, if you're if you're a teammate of LeBron James, particularly at this stage of his career, every year you don't win, it's a lost year because the twilight yep. is, is upon us, right? We don't know how many more years he has. You're expected to win it every year if LeBron James is on your team. And most of the time when they don't win a playoff game, we are talking about Anthony Davis. That's typically yep. the, the topic of conversation, right, the next day. So I, I think yep. that's a good answer. I went in a little different direction, and I'll give you my runner-up first. My runner-up was Jason Tatum for all the reasons I just said about the Boston yeah. Celtics. Okay? Jason Tatum this time, if he's able to get his team to the finals, can't get outplayed by the other team's best player. You know, that's what happened in the Golden yep. State series. He got outplayed by Golden State's best player. Steph Curry is the best player on the floor in that series. That can't happen to Jason Tatum if they get back there. So, But he's my runner-up. My number one guy is Damian Lillard. Ooh. And, look, he spent all these years in Portland. And, he look, I, I credit him for everything he committed to that organization. And they, they obviously, most years, weren't a legitimate title contender. But he always was very comfortable in his own skin, saying, I'm not chasing anything. I'm going to be here. Finally got to that breaking point. Uh, it looked like they, you know, they they were going a different direction. He asked out. No one begrudged him. You know, in, in an era when star players ask out and they get beat yeah. up for it, I think you was universal support. Thank goodness we want to see Damian Lillard play somewhere else because we want to see this guy play deep into the postseason. Well, he went to a team that's already won a championship. He went alongside a multiple-time MVP, a champion. This is his best opportunity. So now, if you're Damian Lillard. You've got to be that guy that they brought you in there to be. And I have no doubt that he will be. He's sensational. He's a great closer. But, hey, you've got a team in Boston you're going to have to get past, you know, maybe Philly. And Damian Lillard has to be that answer that Giannis Antetokounmpo needs because when Giannis has all the pressure on him to close it out, 
That's when he has struggled at times, whether it's at the free throw line or, you know, he has no confidence in his mid-range game or, you know, he's barreling to the rim, running people over, not making great decisions because he, he wants it so badly. Well, now you've got this guy at, that, that can run alongside you that can actually close matters in a different way. Um, and that's where Damian Lillard's going to be looked at. And nobody cares really even about this regular season with the Bucs. We're only going to be focused on can Damian Lillard finally give us like that two-month run where he yeah. is sensational and helps get his first championship um, and, and Giannis' is second. They're 12 and five. They have the third best record in the NBA. They have one game out of the best record in the NBA. So that we got to do a Bucks deep dive before too long because they are a team that, you know, you want to see them get settled. And yet here they are at 12 and five, you know, pretty <laughs> things going pretty well for not quite having been settled yet. Let's take our first break, though. On the other side, we have a lot of things to, to get to still. Best duo, best trio, best player. Um, a lot of those and more on the other side of this break. But first, got to tell you, NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball's back. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings parlays, everyone's got a shot at an even bigger payout and bigger wins. Tonight's in-season tournament game, throw one down on all of them, all of the games that have a meaning meaningful consequence, um, which is like all but one or two of them. And you can get a monster payout. So basketball is more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code ALLNBA. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas and a licensed partner, Golden Nugget, Lake Charles in Louisiana. 21 and older age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See DraftKings. Uh, see sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms and responsible gaming resources. All right, back here for the back half of the All-NBA Show. If you're enjoying it, play along with us in the chat, by the way. Love seeing your guys' answers. Also, don't forget to follow us on YouTube. You can be a part of the shows. We do more and more interactive things, mailbags. Um, we'll, we're live usually at the same time, right around 12 Eastern. Fluctuates a little bit day to day, uh, but we want to make this part of your NBA routine. Um, let's get to most disappointing team. And we got to go a little quicker here, Legs, to make sure we get all yep. of these in. But most disappointing team for you so far. I'm going to go with the Bulls, and it's not like I had a tremendous amount of expectation for the Bulls going in, but you figured they would be in that next in that next stratosphere in the Eastern Conference, right? Because we knew who the top yep. teams were going to be, and then there's like that middle ground where you have teams like the Knicks and the Cavs and the Raptors and like the Heat, and then and then maybe there the Bulls are, right? Should be like in that six to eight range probably with guys like Levine and DeMar DeRozan on your roster. You look up, man, this team is – Five and thirteen. If it wasn't for the Pistons and the Wizards, right, we'd be talking a lot more about the Bulls being in the bottom dweller in the Eastern Conference. And here's the other thing: twenty eighth in the league in scoring. Team meetings after their first game of the year. I mean, come on, man. Right. How can yeah. you be more disappointing than that? You got team meetings a game in, and yeah. you're barely getting to a hundred points every night. They're twenty eighth in the league in scoring. Uh, so for me, it's got to be the Bulls, just because I expected them to be mediocre. And they're not even close to that. So I'll go with Chicago. Yeah. 
I mean, this one's so, like almost not surprising because I, it, this is like most disappointing franchise. The team is performing what I expected. I mean, it's so clear that the clock ran out on that group and they bring it back and this is what happened. Five and 13. I mean, their season effectively over. Um, I went with the Cleveland Cavaliers because I had a little bit higher expectations or at least higher hopes for them. I mean, this was a team that, you know, had to make a decision on Donovan Mitchell. They had the underwhelming playoffs last year, you know, losing with a being the, the home team. And so they were a team that was like, okay, similar to the Sacramento Kings, I said, when you come up short, especially as the overseed, you can break one or two ways. And it looks like the Sacramento Kings are, no, we have to build on that. That's an experience. I look at this Cavs team and I think, man, is this team just not that impressive and never going to get over the hump? And in particular, Evan Mobley, who's got to be a cornerstone piece, his numbers this year are identical to his numbers last year, which were identical to his rookie season. So for me, I look at this Cavs team and think, two years ago, you could make the argument, here's an up-and-comer, they're going to be something, they're going to be a force. They have not gotten over the hump, and now I think you question, what is it that they're building? Is this a team that's going to quickly get stale? I like that, and it's relative to expectations, so I hear you. Um, yeah. Cavaliers, a lot of people thought ready to take that next step, and and doesn't look like they're there. All right, let's move on to the most disappointing player. And I'm going to take it I got an interesting take on this one. So it's it's, it's kind of a – it's going to be some guys lumped in together. And my answer to that question is anyone on the Golden State Warriors not named Steph Curry or Kevon Looney. <laughs> so I guess go right down the yeah. list. I mean, Clay obviously far below his his standard. Chris he Paul hasn't had the impact he expected. Wiggins has not played well. Kaminga and Moody have not taken a step forward. Maybe I should also include in, in the guys that should be excluded from it is, is Saric. I think he's been what they expected him to be. Looney's is exactly what they expected him to be, and Curry's been great. Everybody else, Draymond, even throw him in there. You know the suspension and and yeah. costing your team in that way. So I think I still thought the Warriors championship window was open um, because Steph Curry hasn't shown any decline, and yet and look maybe it will be second half of the year. You know they're capable of getting on on rolls, but right yeah. now first half of the season, I, I'd go with with the Warriors personnel collectively across the board similar to the lakers the warriors have you know they need they can't mess around they don't want to have to sprint all year and now they're in a position where they have basically the same record as the clippers who we just talked about having pressure on them they're eight and nine they're gonna have to play hard just to try to make it out of the play and so they're in a bad spot um and i'm with you i they've, they've really set themselves up poorly and all those names could go on the list i went with julius randall though Similar, you got the Cavs and you got the Knicks, right? They play each other last year. The Knicks come out victorious. Are they building something? Do they have something? He's having the worst year he's had since his rookie season or his sophomore season, or really his rookie season. He's having the worst year. He's been inefficient. He can't make a jump shot. And as a result, the Knicks are in the exact same spot they always seem to be. They're the seven seed. They're nine and seven. You think they're good. They can beat anybody. But you know they're not going to beat everybody. You know that they're just sort of this team that caps out, and they needed him to be something more than what he's been this year. We're 20 games in or almost 20 games in. This isn't a slump. I mean, a slump is five games, right? Five, seven games maybe. 20 games is a decent enough sample size to say you're just having a bad year. Yeah, it's almost a month and a half. And, and, and the, only, the only positive note I'll take from that for the Knicks is Despite that, they've been you know very competitive and they've still been able to win games. If he does find his efficiency along the way, the Knicks then get into that mix, right, for that team yeah. that you think could be a second-round team and take on one of those bullies on the block in the second round. But right now, it'd be hard to envision that with Randall playing the way he has offensively. All right, let's go to best back 
backcourt in the NBA? We're, we're probably going to disagree on this one. Let's see. Best backcourt. I'm going to go with Luca and Kyrie in Dallas. I, I think, you know, it's it's been – look, Luca's been sensational, the start he had. Now, they've cooled off a little bit as a team. But when you have, you know, both of those guys looking this comfortable together, because I think it's been a totally dramatic, different look than you saw even in the limited amount of time they played together last year. They look more comfortable. Kyrie especially looks more understanding of, I am riding shotgun to this guy. And that's when Kyrie was at his best in Cleveland. That was the best lane for him next to LeBron, where you get your opportunities through the course of the game. Here you go, man. Next six minutes, it's your show. Go. LeBron would do that for him to empower him. But the gravitational force of their franchise was all directed at LeBron. Answer the questions. Be the guy that had to be the leader, right? Be the guy to make everybody better. Kyrie didn't have that on his plate, and he thrived. Since then, we saw some issues. Leadership in Boston, he didn't want any part of that. Then he, he moves on to Brooklyn. Didn't fit in with those guys. It, it wasn't a mesh. He looks comfortable again. And between the two of them, they're about 55 points and about 13 assists a night on a team that's in fifth place in the West. I'll go with Luke and Kyrie. I went with the Boston Celtics. And I went with it not because of their starting backcourt, but their collection of backcourt players. So you look at Drew Holiday and Derek White provide something different. That's a tough matchup one way or another. Defensively, obviously, Drew Holiday is going to lock up who he guards. Derek White is so hard to, and so slippery to keep in front. And then you go with, you know, you got Jalen Brown in, in there as well. I'm kind of working him over into the backcourt piece of this. They just have a lot of guys that they can throw at you. And most nights when I watch them play, there's one guy that gets a really favorable matchup because some team doesn't have the depth at backcourt and it ends up being a big mismatch. So I went with them. Um, it just kind of, again, more about the depth. And then the best front court in the NBA I went with the Minnesota Timberwolves and same thing. I looked at this as a depth thing. So you've got Towns and you've got Gobert in the front court and you've got Jaden McDaniels out on the wing as part of the front court rotation as well. Backup, you have Nas Reed, who's having a phenomenal year and bludgeons a lot of teams second unit uh, from, from a size standpoint. And they have Kyle Anderson. So to me, that is a five person front court rotation that creates mismatches. Sometimes it's the bench that has the mismatch. Sometimes it's the starters. And oftentimes it's both that are doing something uh, to the other team's front court that is putting pressure on them. So I went with the Timberwolves. Well, based on your answer on uh, on the um, best uh, backcourt, um, what I'm about to say, I guess we're saying Boston's unbeatable because my, I think the best frontcourt <laughs> is Boston. Right, and that's because I'm going. I'm going with traditionally now that because you know, there were times in the past they started either either Brown or Tatum at the two guard. You took your right, pick. Right. Now they're starting two guards together. So that means to me clearly, for, uh, Tatum and Brown are forwards, which is what yeah. we're talking about here. When you look at the the production of those two guys, and then on top of it, you add Porzingis into the mix. So their top three scorers are all coming from the front court, and then right. you can still go to an Al Horford who is yeah. still a very valuable player for them. And even a guy like Sam Hauser, who comes in and plays the three, has become a very important role-playing shooter for them. So I think for me, it's the totality of what they're bringing at you. But mainly, when I look at those three starters and the production you're getting out of Brown, Tatum, and Porzingis, I'm going with Boston for the best front court. All right, what about best offense? And It might not be the numbers necessarily, right. but for me, for me, it's the Sacramento Kings. Um, and it's, it's a combination of the elite level guard play. We've talked about Fox, but then, then you've got a big and Sabonis who could just pound you inside and, 
Or he can play out on the perimeter with his ball handling and passing skills. And they run a lot of dribble handoff action through him and, and reads at the top of the key. So he's a big-time facilitator. In fact, I think he's still their leading assist guy because he the way he directs traffic up there. But then it's all of this cast of characters that know exactly what they're out there to do. And the ball hops and moves. And they've had some beautiful possessions this year. If you want to, like, Google King's best possessions of the year. Just go take a look at the way this ball is changing sides of the floor, the number of guys that touch it on a given possession. They can play fast. They can execute in the half court. I think the Kings are, are probably the most entertaining offense, so I put them down as best offense. So I had them, and I took them off because I think it's only been the last, like, two weeks or so, two and a half weeks. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, they're going to win this award, I think, in the next – version of this but did they have a big enough sample size i probably just overthought it so i went with the pacers the pacers and kings are kind of going in different directions right the kings are starting to get their footing and starting to get the rhythm while the pacers are starting to see how difficult it is to sustain that pace but if we talk about the first three four weeks of this season the pacers offense was unbelievable statistically it's number one um they're putting up these 150 point outputs that are just insane i mean what was that what did they score early in regulation this year then they have like a 160 game or something like that against, so, the game against the hawks right it was that was that was that, Matt, that crazy shootout against atlanta just an insane score um so for me i went with them but i suspect i i like your answer better in terms of projecting forward because the kings to me have like got it figured out and they're in a role right now um best defense I'm going with the Houston Rockets and because I don't think their offense is anywhere near as good. And yet here they are. They had a, they, they had a great start. They yeah. cooled off a little bit, but they're still right around 500 in the West. And then you looked at where this franchise was, the state of the franchise going into the season, couldn't have predicted this. And you just look at the versatility of Jalen Green, of Van Fleet, and Dylan Brooks, Jabari Smith. And when you watch them play, they just look so long and active yep. and versatile with their switching and they're aggressive and they they pressure passers. Uh, they don't allow entry passes easily into the post. Like all the little things that add up and you look up and this team's given up fewer points than any team in the Western Conference per night. And their offense, like I said, trails their defense. But as a result, you're going to hold teams to slightly above 100 points in this era of the NBA you've got a chance to win every night. So I think for me, it's, it's been the Rockets, the best defense to this point. Statistically, you're correct. They are the number one defense so far. And I do like, we've talked about them. I think we had a great show on them a week ago about how they just do all the details defensively. Coaching, you can tell good coaching by what's emphasized because you see what is a team doing. And to your point, they do all the details, man. And that's just great. In my opinion, that's great coaching and, and, and players buying in. I went with the Timberwolves. And I went with them just because they're statistically they're number two. I think it's by a, a tiny margin. But to me, Jaden McDaniels, Rudy Gobert, you're just Mike Conley. You're starting from such a high point. I trust them. I think they're going to end up as the number one defense. They've been they have big defensive performances against the Celtics, against the Nuggets with Murray. So they to me they have shut down the league's best offenses. Um, so from I went with them. All right, here's a fun one. Best duo. Where are you going? So and so far, who's been the best duo in the NBA? So many to choose from. We've talked about some of them already, but I'm going to talk about one we haven't talked about. I'm going with Embiid and Maxi. Yeah, I think that's been the best duo. And and look, Embiid is is doing what he normally does. Maxi, I've been talking about this guy for a couple of years, in particular last year. You know, I just you were on it. Like it was time. It was time to just give the guy the basketball and let's see. Let's see what is the ceiling for this player rather than these bursts and flashes and then spending, 
you know, a lot of other nights kind of in the shadow of James Harden, let this guy go. Well, it took Harden wanting out for that to happen. And they finally did it. They got their wish. They gave this guy the ball opening night and said, it's, you know, it's obviously things are going to run through Embiid, but it's really Maxi's team now. He's the first guy to touch it. And it's his, his speed, his confidence, his shooting ability, his incredible ability to finish going full speed with these floaters, runners, and high shots off the glass over defender. It's really amazing to watch this guy jumping off the wrong foot, going full speed and putting it up there soft. He is so fun to watch. And now the combination of this dominant big man and this elite-level guard, you've got Philly, to me, giving me more belief in this Sixers team and actually not only making a run, but like being there for six, seven competitive games, whether they win or lose in a second-round series in Milwaukee or Boston, they're not. it's not going to be because we're watching a guard wilt the way that we did James Harden, where he just ran from the light. Maxi will not do that. This team has got a better chance this year because of this pairing to actually make an advance, and who knows, maybe even surprise one of those two teams and play in the NBA Finals or at least the Conference Finals. So I think that's been the best duo for me. It took us this long to get a, an agreement, but here it is. I had them as well. I think this one was actually, of all the things we had, to me this might have been the easiest one. All the reasons you said, the only reason I'll add is, and I talked about this the other day when we did this duo, but Maxi, from a temperament standpoint, just seems to be the right guy of all the guys they've thrown out the right guy for Embiid because he is close to being Embiid's equal but it seems for whatever reason to be non-threatening to Embiid's ego and and I think those things are important and this is not a knock on Joel Embiid it's important for you for your two best players to have synergy chemistry and to be rowing in the right direction and that's hard to do when there's you know pecking orders and egos those two guys just seem to both be about each other's success and to me, it's uh, it's why you keep framing it as Boston and Milwaukee, and then we'll see if – to me, 76ers are in that category. They're just – to me, I look at them, and I think they're as good because they have a duo that, to me, works, and both of those guys don't aren't the type of players I expect to be shut down in a playoff series. So, for me, there's there's three teams out, out east. Well, I know um, this. If you ask LeBron James about them after last night, he's probably going to agree with <laughs> worst loss of his career, right? So, I, you know, <laughs> so if, yeah, this, they're potent, man. They're potent. They're fun. And, um, you know, me you know, living in the market uh, and, and having a lot of friends that are Sixers fans, it's been fun to watch. Yeah. Although I think Philadelphia sports fans right now are just completely spoiled <laughs> with the Eagle Phillies, you know, their success recently. And now you got the Sixers as well. So they're kind of spoiled. It's a little overkill in the Philadelphia area for all this winning. But at least with Philly, man, you love watching them. And I can't say that I felt that way when Harden was there the last couple of years. Shout out to PHLY covering some winners out there um, so far. And then there's the Flyers. Uh, all right. This one's tough. Best trio. We're not really in the era of big threes. Right. So I tried to think of this less as three players that are really good and more three players that seem to work together. And to me, I went with Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Jalen Williams, and Chet Holmgren this combination of guard wing center. And it's when you talk about the base of Oklahoma city, those three guys to me look like three guys that should stay together. They might actually grow into their own organic big three, given the way the talents all work together. So that their net rating, by the way, plus 13.9 in over 200 minutes, a pretty good sample size. Those three guys on the court together, put pressure on every team they play. I was torn on this one. Um, I, I think that's a great answer. I was torn. 
and I kind of gave my answer away a little bit earlier when I was talking about Boston's front court. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to go there, but I don't have to expound on it because I've already talked about them with Brown, Tatum, and Porzingis. But I think also with the way Tobias Harris has played, yeah. and again, it, it's it's the symmetry of the positions, the guard, the, the, the big man, and now the wing scorer. And Tobias Harris has always been getting buckets in this league, and he's always been the first guy that Philadelphia fans beat up every time he has a bad game, and they blame him all the time in the postseason. Um, gosh, does he look comfortable with Harden not there? The, the, he's getting more opportunities early in the clock where he is the primary option, and he's so good at catching the ball at 18 feet, backing a guy down two dribbles and getting into that turnaround jump shot. It's deadly, and he looks so comfortable and confident um, and now he's got to back that up by being there in the postseason and not having, you know, because he'll also throw yeah. in like a six-point game, you know, on a night when yep. you need him. So let's see if he can shake that when he gets to the postseason. But they were my runner-up because of how well he's averaging 18 a game. So you look at, you know, basically Embiid and Maxi are basically giving you 60 a night, and Harris <laughs> is still getting almost 20. So that's, yep. that's not as good as it gets with three guys operating in a flow. And I think that's a good answer. You, you made a convincing case here. All right. Last two are really fun, really controversial. Best player so far. I love this answer different than most valuable because most valuable you can think about value and what team needs. I just like best player. Who's the best player in the NBA through the first 18 games? Nikola Jokic, man. It's Jokic. It's it's Jokic. I never get tired of it. And I you know, saw a stat. You probably know this because you're, you know, you're covering them and you're, you're talking about them a lot. What was the stat I saw the other night? He's the first player in like 50 years to start a season with that many 2010 games. Yeah. Uh, that, I saw that stat pop up. It was like literally since the mid-70s, since a player yeah. started the year with that many consecutive 20 and 10s. It's just the consistency, the greatness, how simple he makes it look, even against great defenders, even against length, against quickness, athletics. It doesn't matter what you put in front of him. Uh, Jokic, and you know, there's no more debate, in my opinion. There's no more debate about who's the best player in the world is. It's Nikola Jokic. And it was a debate, I thought, there for a while. Even last year, it was debatable because of the year Embiid had. It's not debatable. Nikola Jokic is the best player in the league. And so, therefore, first month of the season, with no decline, it's still Nikola Jokic. I, we have another uh, one we agree on. It, for me, it was Jokic as well. And there are, to me, there are other candidates that have been playing really well so far that you could make different cases for. But I just look at it again and go, he's averaging 29 points a game. It's funny to think back, and this is we don't hear this anymore, but there used to be the argument of, yeah, but he's not a scorer. He's a playmaker, but is he a great scorer? He's one of the best scorers in the NBA, the most efficient volume scorer in the NBA. And this year he's kind of proven that the efficiency scales. He's taken 20 shots a game, um, and he's being hyper-efficient at it. So to me, the stuff he's doing, leading the league in, in rebounding, while also scoring 29 a game. And oh, by the way, he's having his uh, he's having a drop down year in assists. Nine. Only nine a game this year in assists. So um he's just he's been unbelievable. The Nuggets, they're on a little bit of a slide, so they're almost under the radar, but they're 12 and six. I think they have the fifth, fourth or fifth best record in the NBA. I went with Jokic as well. Uh, I can't believe Jamal what I'm Murray saying. for an extended period of time. And we forget about that. Yeah. Jamal Murray, yeah, pretty important player, hasn't been out there. So it's yeah, it's 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 his show, man. It's his league right now. I think some some guys that would be in consideration for me, definitely Embiid, with the year that he's had to this point. Luca has to get consideration. Devin Booker has been sensational. Yes, uh, for Phoenix, you know, um, Giannis is always going to be in the mix. Those are Tatum, 
that's like the next list of guys. But I, 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 even in a league with that kind of greatness, I still think Jokic stands above. And then the last one, best team. I have a feeling we'll agree on this one as well. I got to go with Boston to this yeah. point. I think it's both ends of the floor. Uh, second greatest point differential in the league. They are undefeated at home. They're over 500, six and four on the road. They have been able to beat you by just bombing you out from the three-point line. They've beaten you on nights when they haven't shot the ball well. They've got great depth. They get contributions up and down their roster. I just think to this point, 13 and four, best record in the NBA. Um, and they do it in a variety of ways uh, that, that you don't see any any real tail off here. And that they look driven. They look like they know they have not completed the mission. So their foot is still on the gas, right? Some yeah. of these teams treat the regular season like an annoyance because they've yeah. already won something or they, you know, they're, they're, they have veteran guys that they're just trying to preserve for later in the year. Like that's the approach for some of these teams. That's not been the approach with Boston. These guys play every night, they play hard and they still know that they haven't proven the ultimate thing, which is win a championship. So that's why to me, They've, they've really had their foot on the accelerator and they've been the best teams top to bottom. I went with the same one. I kind of, I feel like this is a pretty safe pick, say in Boston. There's been a lot of good teams that have impressed. They've been the most consistent and they're starting five. I didn't give them best front court. I didn't give them best back court. And I didn't give them best duo or trio because I don't think they have any of those things, but they have the best five guys. It's, it's, yeah. it's somehow it's the collection of all five of them that works together and to me, that's why they're they're easily to me the best team right now. I I have a feeling they'll be the best record, just because they have so many different ways they can beat you. And thirteen and four, um, you know, kind of speaks for itself. So so there you go. Look at that. So we I think we agreed on the best player. We agreed on best player, best duo, and best team. Everything else we disagreed on. Pretty good, man. What do you have? Sixteen categories or something, and we uh, yeah. only we only found three, which is great. Which which I think speaks to. Uh, the level, the number of storylines in the league, the level of talent in the league that you always have multiple options to answer these kinds of questions. So a month in and, uh, the league is in a good spot. We didn't even get to talk about, you know, this play in tournament, which has been fascinating with some big <laughs> games, some big games taking place yep. on Tuesday night. You know, I've been all over the play in tournament from day one, Adam. I, I have been the big <laughs> I, know, I know you're all in, of, man. Of I, know the, I keep saying playing. I meant in season of the in season tournament. I've been the biggest proponent of that. Yeah, it's, it's working funny. though. It, it, it's working. Added excitement tonight because I've been enjoying going through all the different you know scenarios of this or that. Tonight it's almost too complicated to explain. It's easy to visualize, but it's too complicated to talk about. Bucks and Heat. The Heat can create a three-way tie, um, you know. But tonight everything wraps up tonight. So by the end of tonight, we are going to know who's going to Vegas, and then we'll really have something to talk about as teams kind of gear up for for that tournament. So I'm all about it. Legs, we're off tomorrow. We're back on Thursday. But tomorrow, we got the uh, AMA over at Reddit. You're going to answer some questions. Cannot wait to do that. Bring your best. We got the links out there. Check social media. Come on Reddit, and uh, you got an hour to ask us anything you want. There you go. Everybody, thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. Follow us on social, by the way. On Twitter and Instagram, we're posting a lot of clips. So if you miss a show and you wonder what it's about, you can check out our great clips. And then, of course, the most important place to follow us is on YouTube. So you can join the show live and watch it as so many great people are doing right now. John Jones, Philly Urbanite, Joe Vicente, so many guys and gals following along every single day. And we appreciate you guys. Hit that like button for us on the way out. We'll see you guys on Thursday.